When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. The Soundtrack Show will begin in five, four, three. And now, part three of our look at Superman the movie. This is The Soundtrack Show. Back to the soundtrack show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this is our third look and listen to Superman the Movie, a film from 1978 from Warner Brothers Pictures, directed by Richard Donner, with a film score by John Williams. Today, we're going to start at the beginning of the film and work our way through some of the more inspired moments in this score that are definitely worth calling out and discussing. The film opens with a black-and-white movie curtain within a movie. As that curtain is drawn back, we hear the Superman fanfare with a solo, muted trumpet. But it doesn't resolve itself or state itself fully even. Just flutes toying with the dotted Superman rhythm. Open-ended. This is classic Williams. It's just an echo of what is going to come. And then, after that prologue, we go into the famous opening titles, and the march and fanfare are fully presented to us, just as they were in George Lucas's Star Wars the year before. In this way, we are being promised a heroic journey. We know what's going to come. If you remember my episodes on Raiders of the Lost Ark, for example, where the heroic theme is withheld from us, in order to give our lead a sense of moral ambiguity and a slow reveal, this style is much more in line with the tradition of films like Star Wars. It whets our appetite in terms of where we'll go. We get it here in a very long opening credit sequence, which, quite frankly, would be tough to sit through after a while without great music, even with cutting-edge title effects at the time. As it is in the final cut, It is a showcase for Williams, and a gift for any composer, a chance to fully establish the score with a rousing fanfare and march. 
From there, we go to the planet Krypton. And since we covered the Alzos Sprach Zarathustra reveal of the planet, I want to go straight into the trial of General Zod, Ursa, and Non. In spite of the black flowing robes with the white S and the white-haired wig, in spite of the fantastic setting, the scene is played with absolute sincerity. This is meant to be a real trial with real consequences. Even the first line of dialogue from Jor-El, played by Marlon Brando, is this. This is no fantasy. No careless product of wild imagination. There's a concept in Richard Donner's Superman that everyone in the production had to stick by, and that was verisimilitude. On March 24, 1977, cameras rolled on both Superman movies with one objective in mind, verisimilitude. Dick's great mantra was verisimilitude. Of course, we all had to look it up, but um, what it means is, I think, truthfulness. Keep to the... Uh, Keep to the reality, the real truth of the situation. Dick has a talent because of the things that are in him as a person. He wants to believe in those myths. And when you can make an audience believe that what's happening on the screen, even though it's totally extraordinary, that this is actually happening, that's when you have verisimilitude. I have a sign to this day in my office of Superman flying through the air, dragging a sign by him that says verisimilitude, because the story had to have its own honesty. Everybody had to believe it was real. We're not playing at Superman here. We're not winking at the camera and making a 70s variety show on film here. No, this is the real Superman story. We have to believe it. And no part of this movie is played with more stoicism, taken more seriously with a sense of high Shakespearean drama than the Krypton sequence of Superman at the beginning with the main title music sustaining us, promising where this feel-good story will eventually go, we accept this fantastic setting with the help of some of the most respected actors of the time on screen, Brando, Terrence Stamp, and others. We just go with it and listen to how Williams treats this trial. It's subtle at first, starting with odd synthesizer lines, which are immediately alien-sounding when compared to the organic orchestra that just moments before was blaring a heroic fanfare. We immediately know that we are far away from hearing that theme again. And now listen to this wonderful drum corps, snare drums, giving it a feel of a military tribunal. Now the strings creep in as the charges are read aloud to the jury. Building slowly. Until General Zod looks up. And now angry brass. And the verdict? Guilty. More brass and tubular bells as a guilty verdict leads to a fate that is possibly worse than death in the Phantom Zone for our three villains. More drums, more tubular death bells, 
and a winding low brass line as Terrence Stamp unleashes incredible power as an actor. Join us. You have been known to disagree with the council before. Yours could become an important voice in the new order, second only to my own. I offer you a chance for greatness, Jorel. Take it. Join us. You will bow down before me, Jorel. I swear it. No matter that it takes an eternity, you will bow down before me. Both you and then one day, your ass. This movie is pulling no dramatic punches. And as the three villains' fates are sealed, Williams shows us just what justice looks like on Krypton with a low brass fanfare. Now, before we move on to the destruction of Krypton, we should probably have a quick chat about the fact that there are multiple versions of Superman the movie that have been released over the years. We won't cover all of them on this show, but beyond the theatrical release, which is what I've been using, runs about 2 hours and 23 minutes, there's also a special edition that runs 2 hours 31 minutes, roughly another 8 minutes of footage. But would you believe it, there is also an extended cut that was made specifically for network television in 1982, with a runtime of a whopping three hours and eight minutes. That's right, over 40 minutes of unused footage when compared to the theatrical release. But that's not all. The reason I bring this up is because some scenes in the extended edition contain music that John Williams wrote that was otherwise omitted from the final theatrical release. This is especially true here in the beginning with the destruction of Krypton. Let's take a listen. It's suicide. No, it's worse. It's genocide. Be warned, Jorel. The council has already evaluated this outlandish theory of yours. This planet will explode within 30 days, if not sooner. I tell you, Krypton is simply shifting its orbit. Jorel, be reasonable. My friend, I've never been otherwise. This madness is yours. This discussion is terminated. The decision of the Council is final. As the argument about the fate of Krypton concludes, we hear a melody that is, in fact, Dies Irae in reverse. The same four notes playing Dies Irae backwards, instead of this. Williams is giving us this. Dies Irae backwards. Ah, and a female choir playing suspended haunting notes. What's that? Yes, more tubular bells. 
death is coming, and only Jor-El is wise enough to correctly predict it. We cut to Krypton's angry, threatening-looking sun, which we now believe will explode, and Williams gives us a Death Star-like fanfare to accentuate the danger that we've been warned of. As we cut to the next scene, we meet Lara and young baby Kal-El. And Jor-El is constructing a spacecraft for his baby son, made entirely of crystals. And there is no music here, just the tonal sounds of Krypton's space-age architecture. Later, as Kal-El's parents say goodbye, the music does come back in. He will never be alone. And we're treated to a very sweet scene that is punctuated once again by another destruction of Krypton sticker. Now here's where the differences between versions of Superman gets interesting. In the theatrical release, the music cuts out. Much of the destruction of Krypton that follows is played without music. Let's take a listen. Jor-El places the green crystal into the spacecraft. No music, but a nice sound effect nod to the crystal light motif. Listen to that crystal tonality there. By the way, for our knowledge, a new sound design and sound edit pass was done during a restoration effort of Superman the movie back in the year 2000, and it's completely audible in this theatrical release that's available digitally today. You'll hear a lot of that work here as Krypton starts falling apart. music. The spaceship starts to take off from inside, slowly ascending toward the ceiling. Still, no music. People are crushed by giant crystal structures. An entire city is being laid to waste. No music. Then, as the ship finally crashes through the crystal ceiling, we hear a huge Superman fanfare. The drama was apparently saved for this moment. And it carries Kal-El safely away from his doomed home planet. But then the music cuts out again. More destruction as Kal-El zooms away. No music. Just screaming and crystals, screaming and crystals. Oh, there it is, it slowly fades back up. The music falls as people fall into a bottomless chasm. But on the long shot of the planet, no music. As the planet explodes. Now, Let's compare that same sequence with music from the extended cut. Hey, 
the only answer, Lara. If he remains here with us, he will die as surely as we will. But why Earth, Jura? They're primitives, thousands of years behind us. He will need that advantage to survive. By the way, there's a whole subplot in the extended cut that you'll hear bits and pieces of. As some kind of masked brute enforcer character that's like a Kryptonian master blaster covered in reflective tape is sent by the council after they detect a power surge from Jor-El to go and stop Jor-El from launching whatever he's planning on launching. But this enforcer meets his demise like everyone else. The energy input to Jor-El's quarters is now in excess. Our data indicates the loss is due to a misuse of energy. Investigate. And if the investigation proves correct, he knew the penalty he faced, even as a member of this council. The law will be upheld. That whoosh is the enforcer running down the hall. Ah, the crystal motif as Jor-El places the green crystal in the ship next to his infant son. Nice touch. dramatic as we watch people meet a tragic, miscalculated end. And finally, it carries through to the ship crashing through the ceiling. Solid music here, tons of destruction. Music much louder in the mix, by the way. And then the people falling, almost like they're floating in midair. Then a long shot of the planet, timpani roll, and boom. That final chord in the same key as the beginning of the next cue. So what do you think? Why the change? Is it too much with the music? We've done these comparisons before, and usually there's a pretty clear, dramatic reason for why music was or wasn't cut. In this case, I generally like the music quite a bit. Keep in mind that the version without music was helped along with a more modern sound effects pass that would have been missing in 1978. But why the change? We may never know. 
One possibility that I might suggest is that this sequence was so edited down for time, and the movie was running so behind schedule by the time it got into post-production, that it may have proved too difficult to successfully edit down the music in a way that was satisfactory to our creatives. Before digital editing, before Pro Tools, this would have been very difficult. Perhaps it was just easier this way. And there could even be a dramatic argument in favor of a fanfare kicking in right as Superman escapes the planet. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. As Superman makes his journey towards Earth over the next three years, we're treated to the following sequence. Okay, a couple of things to notice here. The French horns playing that eighth note pattern. That's pure Williams travel music. Audiences were treated to this same technique, using rhythmic motion like this, when Williams depicted the land speeder racing across Tatooine in Star Wars a year and a half earlier. And then there's this melodic idea that he's developing in the strings. This right here. that whole thing. This feels like a piece of music that Williams was working through in his mind over several movie moments. And it's really making its first appearance, that I'm aware of at the time of writing and recording this episode, here in Superman. This type of idea can be heard in the melodic development of Yoda's theme here. and can be heard a bit in the asteroid field chase in Empire here. And almost, arguably in a much more dramatic way, in this crescendo in Luke and Leia's theme from Return of the Jedi here. James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith, Max Steiner, John Williams. As I listen to more and more of a composer, sometimes you can hear their melodic and compositional phases in their writing. This melodic idea that we're talking about is one that seems to echo during this period of Williams' composition. Anyway, 
Moving on to Smallville, Kansas. Baby Kal-El lands on Earth in an unceremonious way. No music, just the sound of Jonathan and Martha Kent driving down the highway. Instinctively, we know that we're in real life. We're in familiar territory. Music seems reserved for the fantastic, for the alien. It's not until they approach the crash site close up that music sneaks in. And when we see baby Kal-El, we hear the first fully developed, though cautious, as if taking its first steps, fully stated Superman fanfare. This fanfare becomes a moniker for Kal-El, soon to be renamed Clark Kent. In fact, it happens again in the very next scene, when Clark saves his adopted father from being crushed underneath the truck. The couple stares in amazement as Clark smiles this time over a noble French horn, incredibly matured musically in the lapse of just one scene. Come on, gang! And now we cut straight to football. Oh, we're in for a treat. Clark must be great. Oh no, he's not playing. Neither is the music. Come on, gang, hustle, let's go. Stack your helmets neatly. Hmm. Remember about those uniforms, cleaned and washed by tomorrow and looking like a football team. Hey, Clark, let's have all those clothes gang. washed and ready for tomorrow's game, yes, okay? Got to be numbered and high! Finally, out of frustration, Clark, alone, kicks the football so far into the horizon that it disappears. Williams uses the orchestra as a sound effect, creating a clustered sliding string glissando as the ball rises and rises, eventually leaving sight. Clark has grown since we've last seen him, and so have his powers. Oh, man, as if being a teenager isn't difficult enough. Right after the scene, Clark gets out more of his frustrations by racing a train. More eighth note travel music from Williams here, but this time we're immediately clued into the fact that this is lighthearted fun because of the use of pizzicato strings. Pizzicato, by the way, means that the string section isn't using their bows to play. They're literally plucking the strings on their instruments with their fingers. Done quickly, it's bouncy fun. We know that lighthearted mischief is afoot. Eighth Note Brass gives way to a big trumpet fanfare as we see Clark keeping up with a train. It grows over a string melody and eventually crescendos as Clark beats the train and keeps running off in the distance.
music trails off as well as Clark runs away from camera. Some diegetic radio music as Clark's peers race through the countryside without him here. Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley in the Commons. Hey, look! There's Clark! Clark? How'd you get here so fast? I ran. Ran, huh? Cool. Told you he's an odd ball. Let's get out of here. Been showing off a bit, haven't you, son? And now we're at the Kent farm. Since we covered the death of Jonathan Kent in the last episode, we're going to skip straight to Clark's decision to leave home and pursue his destiny. It's dawn on the Kent farm, and we clearly hear Copeland-esque strings as the farm animals call out. Martha sees Clark out in the field alone. Cellos weep. And now the woodwinds give us the Smallville melody again. Now the strings play the melody with stylized glissando. This is classic Hollywood meets Americana during this very sweet scene. I have to leave. I knew this time would come. We both knew it from the day we found you. I talked to Ben Hubbard yesterday, and he said that, that he'd be happy to help out from now on. A solo clarinet gives us the melody again. I know, son. I know. Do you? Know where you're headed? North. Remember, son. Always remember. And now the melody stated in octaves to end the scene. big chord with brass and bells, signaling the heroism of the journey ahead while honoring where Superman came from.
verisimilitude indeed. And now we cut to a snowy landscape, and we hear an oboe play the Krypton theme, but in a minor key. It plays it again here. The full weight of what Clark is searching for is in this scene, his past. stated a third time. As Clark reaches for the green crystal in his backpack and we hear the crystal theme the melodies come together to finally give Clark some answers. And now, magic, as Clark throws the crystal, and it travels even farther than the football did in the previous scene. Brass gives us Superman, but in a dangerous, foreboding way. What's going to happen? Once the fortress has constructed itself, we get the Krypton theme stated in its major key glory. And once he's in the fortress, solo brass mixed with the crystal theme. Major, then modal minor. Then major, mysterious, yet completely beautiful. A delicate compositional balance for sure. Choir creeps in, synthesizer arpeggiates. Kalal, once again, is home. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. Ah, Metropolis. We first arrive and are introduced to Metropolis, as many people who visit New York are introduced to that city for the first time, from the back of a taxi cab. Okay, this is it, Mac, the Daily Planet. No music. No music at all, as we are now on the streets of New York slash Metropolis in front of the Daily Planet. And then we're introduced to the interior offices of the Daily Planet in an ingenious way, through the lens of a camera. The camera eye of Jimmy Olsen, 
and we eventually land on Lois Lane, Smile. who plays the part and poses for the young photographer. How many T's in bloodletting? Two. No music, no music, no music. For the first five minutes plus in Metropolis, it's just daily life in the big city. The din of Metropolis. As we meet our hero, dressed as mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent, as he fumbles out of the office with Lois Lane. It isn't until they are mugged in broad daylight and drawn into a back alley that we hear John Williams come back and do his thing. It's slightly comical. The threat isn't real. Well, maybe for Lois, who ironically holds her own and stands up to the purse snatcher, but we all know that for Clark Kent, who is playing the coward here, this isn't a real threat. He could never be stopped by a speeding bullet. And that's exactly how this music plays out. The gun fires, and the pizzicato strings score the thief running from the scene of the crime in a kind of comical way, as Clark Kent lays on the ground, presumably shot. But what's nice to note about this cue comes here at the end. When Lois shows concern for Clark, we hear woodwinds chime in with the love theme for the first time since the opening credits establishing who our two main characters are in the love story. And then after Lois leaves and we're alone with Superman, he looks at the bullet in his hand that he caught and retreated to that Man of Steel moniker, the Fanfare, with a simple French horn line to cap the end of the scene. Notice that we haven't even really heard the Superman march at all since the opening credits. That promise has yet to pay off. Well, we're going to pay it off next week as we're just getting started in Metropolis. On the next episode of The Soundtrack Show, we'll conclude our look at Superman the movie with the whole comic book arc of Lex Luthor, as well as the love story, and we'll witness our Man of Steel in glorious musical action. Until then, please send us an email at soundtrackshowpodcast at gmail.com. That's soundtrackshowpodcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on social media at Soundtrack Show HSW on Facebook and Instagram, or Soundtrack HSW on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at David W. Collins. Thank you. The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.